I sometimes can spend a whole Saturday just listening to albums back to back. And I like this idea of like turning the internet off completely, putting my phone on silent and not answering the phone for four or five hours. And I'm just immersed in this world. It's almost like taking a shower in music. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better, better acquainted with you. Today we are getting better acquainted with Naveen. Hello, Naveen. Hello, Dave. How are you? Uh, I'm all right. It's good I'm to okay. be in Leighton. Are we in Le- it's Leighton, Leighton Stone? I can never remember. It's Leighton Stone, yeah. yeah that's yeah, where we yeah. are. It's nice looking across the room. It's all a bit sort of Mancunian slightly. You almost kind of feel like the Coronation Street thing's going to like waft in any second. That's nice. And, um, I mean, I guess, uh, well, I've got some pictures of Lowry on the wall, so that's, yes, kind, that's of kind of adding the Mancunian Salford, Salford, Salford side. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I guess it kind of feels a little bit industrial in here. <laughs> How did I meet you? When did you first meet me? I think we started corresponding through, there's a website called Join My Band. That's right. Which is basically a forum for... Uh, musicians to kind of look for various people so I think that was that was the first contact we had you put quite an interesting like paragraph up about what you liked and what you wanted to do this whole idea of cutting out some of the more unpleasant parts of like what bands have to do doing open mics and things like that not that there's anything wrong with open mics that's good if you're if you're starting but kind of bypassing some of the elements and like the idea of using podcasts and stuff yeah that's right which is kind of what we're doing today and that intrigued me sort of the idea of what kind of musicians you wanted so yeah that's how we got together and that was what that wasn't very long ago it was a couple of months ago yeah it's quite recently isn't it yeah so we've yeah we've got together haven't we we've had like one or two rehearsals and you've played me your songs which are really good thanks yeah it's been nice because sometimes you encounter these kind of situations where you go to meet someone and it's a bit it's a bit awkward because it's like you're First you're going into someone's home and then you're kind of aware of the fact that you want to kind of hopefully share some musical influences or an idea of where you want to go in terms of songwriting or how you want to record stuff. So, But it's worked out pretty well. It's been a good experience. Yeah, so, so far. I'm, I'm so far, yeah. <laughs> hopefully we'll find some more people and we can get a band together. Yeah, That's which the plan. is, for all those people out there who are kind of struggling to find bands, it is, it's always a hard one, finding you know, the rest of your pieces of your jigsaw to kind of fill it out, yeah. You either grow up with the band and you sort yeah. of form a school or you are sort of lost in this wilderness of how do you find like-minded people Absolutely, yeah. who but share your kind of views and your tastes. What do you do now? At what the do I do? Uh, at the moment I'm gainfully employed three days a week so I have a regular nine to five kind of office job right? and that kind of involves some driving as well. Very straightforward stuff. The rest of my time outside of that I'm trying to write my own songs and do my own little projects on the side. We're doing a project together. I'm doing a project with a friend of mine. She's a songwriter, so I'm playing bass for her on that. Those are the two things, but yeah, I, I like the idea of actually having a day job because it, it focuses you okay. into wanting to use your time outside of it more constructively. It's really easy spending six months and saying, right, I'm going to leave work and, and concentrate on writing songs or learning to paint or concentrate on writing a book. But unless you're one of these really driven or focused people, yeah, it's quite easy to let the days slide into one another. So My 
friends have said this who make music mm. I've come to understand that this must be a common thing but it, it, it's hard for me because I probably am in that very small percentage of really driven people so I just get yeah, very frustrated yeah. uh, not being able to sort of spend more time on, on my projects but yeah a lot of people say that to me drive is a good thing it's, it's something I wish I had more of I, when I when I get my teeth into something I can really stick with it but some days you can get really lazy and that's a really bad thing because there's no reason for it but I found now that I'm working again you have this kind of framework where you get up you go to work so you kind of have to do certain regimented things like say have breakfast or I might have breakfast later and then have lunch and dinner and you do a day's work and then it means when you come to say Saturday and Sunday you think well hang on now I need to be a bit more focused yeah do household chores because I live on my own at the moment which means I, I do everything by myself which is fine I like that but then if I've got three hours spare sit down and just start playing the guitar or maybe perhaps I'll maybe start digging a keyboard out and start writing or start playing getting into the discipline of playing and then hopefully ideas will start to seep out and come through it's interesting I mean I think the way that I approach music tends to be I don't know I'm quite against work as a an actual function of society but I am um, I think I kind of approach making art as a job, I am quite rigid and regimented mm. and uh, have, you know, a big list of things to do every day and mm. it, that can become a bit uh, intimidating and, uh, you know, you look at the, the big list. Sometimes I wish I was a little bit more, just let things happen and see what happens. Yeah. I thought today, we were talking earlier about it and, and an interesting sort of way for us to talk uh, is, I guess, about music because it's something that we, that's how we met and it's what <laughs> we both do. When did you decide that you wanted to make music? It's probably, I mean, probably as a kid, it sort of stems from first listening to music and being aware of sound around you and what your mum and dad listened to. And what was that? It was, well, I grew up in a house where we could listen to pop music, so what would, what would have been then like Top of the Pops and the Top 40 and the charts and stuff. But then I grew up around Bollywood music as well. So a lot of the song and dance stuff that you see and also like traditional like classical musicians, so if people know about like Ravi Shankar and people like that. So there was that aspect of that going on lot of vinyl around the house and, and things like that. And your parents were in, interested in music? Yeah, not professional musicians, but interested enough that they were happy to encourage me in that direction. Okay. But I still went through the tr traditional route of like school, GCSEs, A-levels, then university. You kind of think of music as something to do for fun, Yeah. but then you're also encouraged kind of by your parents that it's good to learn a trade or get a degree and have that whole kind of side of it. But it took me a while, whereas say a lot of people form a band at school when they're 14 or 15 or 16 or whatever I didn't really do that but I was into music and I was listening to lots of different things picking up little scraps of ideas here there and everywhere but didn't start really sort of playing the guitar till I was about I think 20 21 or something like that okay so and then just picking up things learning things as I was going along what motivated you to to do that to make that change between enjoying music as a listener and making music as a I like the idea of just participating I just didn't Maybe I wasn't aware of it at the time, but thinking about it now, I just didn't want to be like someone standing at gigs just watching the band and just listening to it, and that was the end of it. I wanted to see, well, why are they using those chords, or why are they using those guitars, or PA, or that kind of keyboard? So it was all that kind of thing. So the slightly technical side of it came in. So I wanted to participate and be on stage doing it, rather than just being a passive observer. So in a way, it was a sort of an extension of analysing the music that you were listening to. Yeah, definitely, yeah. 
you can analyse stuff and that's great and there's lots of people who write about it. You reach a point, I guess, where I, you just don't want to analyse it, you want to become involved and start playing see what the and see like what pans out, basically. Yeah. It was the participation aspect that I wanted to get involved in, just throw myself into it and fit that around whatever else I was doing. So I did uni, then I tried teacher training for a while and that didn't work out, so I left that. And then I did sound engineering. So again, the technical side, yeah. That came in, knowing, trying to know as much as possible. I guess that whole adage of jack of all trades and master of none sort of springs to mind, yeah. I sometimes feel that I'm a jack of all trades and a master of none myself. <laughs> yeah. There are so many different avenues of uh, making stuff that I sort of try It's to good to have pursue. a broad knowledge of as many things as possible, because you never know when you might need to apply that to a situation. Yeah, but it's mastering the craft, isn't it? That you yeah. Have to sort of, sometimes there is a need to sit down and learn something. So there must have been a time when you sat down and went, mm. I'm going to learn guitar. Yeah. Was that an intensive process for you? Not intensive. It kind of was piecemeal. But yeah, I sat down w- with someone who showed me chords and then I started playing around with chords and then I, I don't think there was kind of an intense process of like learning it all kind of happened gradually because mm. I'd been through a period where I'd sat down and learnt the piano and took piano lessons at school got grade one and then maybe the academic side of it put you up. put put me off yeah and then I decided I'll just start applying what I know from listening to albums and CDs and stuff and try and apply that to what I'm trying to so do. So you're, you're a self-taught musician? Then. Yeah, oh, very much, yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, I've had some piano lessons last year when I went back to college to do a, a singing course. So there was that. Probably I'd say about 80, 85, 90% of what I've done has come through picking things up by myself, listening to songs, singers, guitarists, and then trying to find a way to use what pick up little bits of knowledge from there and translate it into what I do. What were the bands or musicians that inspired you, influenced um, you the most, I guess? Growing up, it was top 40, so I guess it would have been at the time things like perhaps the Smiths, Duran Duran, then also bands like Roxy Music, Slade, Mark Boland, stuff like that. Yeah, and then sort of later on bits of classical music and some of the American avant-garde stuff. I sort of became interested in people like John Cage and Terry Riley and all these people who'd come from, I guess, like maybe a, a conservatoire training, but then had gone out there and sort of infiltrated into the avant-garde world. Yeah. So sort of New York and stuff like that became really fascinating. Yeah. People like David Bowie as well. It's such the a rich... visual thing and the musical thing all became a really fascinating thing for me. There's such a rich history written about that that sort of period of yeah. musical history as well. I mean, Absolutely, it, yeah. There's some really excellent writing about it that's quite exciting. Mm. I guess the first sort of music that I looked into as a movement was punk music, I think. Yeah. But having started with punk, then I've gone back to the influences of punk. And post-punk, I guess, was my, my big thing, like Joy Division and, and New Order. And then mm. finding out that Bowie had influenced that, made me get into Bowie and uh, and, and Brian Eno and Roxy Music and all of that Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. So when like the Pistols and the Clash and all those guys came along, there was suddenly this kind of democratisation of music. Yeah. You didn't need to be like Jimmy Page or Eric Clapton and have spent years like listening to like old blues records which is, that's great in itself, but suddenly that whole ethos of pick up a guitar, learn three chords, and then step three, go and form a band, just yeah. go and do it. So all those bands who came up through that, that followed on, it sort of the avalanche effects in the in the following years. So like you said, Joy Division, then I guess bands like Ultravox and groups like Magazine, Howard Devoto, who'd been in the Buzzcocks, yeah. all those bands really just blew me away. 
so inspiring just all these different ideas coming through the idea that you could be in music but you know you could apply things you'd read in books things you'd seen on tv documentaries films the whole visual side of music you could throw all these things into a melting pot and do that and it wasn't just i need to learn an instrument and go down one specific road and and that's it throw all these things together a big part of that sort of change or that sort of uh, melting pot of music probably you could say is to do with technology and Mm. it becoming cheaper to make your own music cheaper to get your own instruments recording meaning that you could go out to a record shop and Mm. hear reggae and find all of these different things that back before you started to be able to record music people will have only had whatever music they were literally directly exposed to yeah very much so yeah and now we're in the time when that's gone really far that there is so much that you can hear it's almost deafening there's that aspect you're absolutely right and there's this kind of dilution of content there are simply more people out there playing music recording music and putting the music on the net that is a good thing but then it kind of means because everybody's writing it's from a band point of view forming a band it's very difficult to find people who are specifically dedicated to one instrument and they just want to join a band I'm a bass player and I'm looking for a band into X, Y and Z and I'm happy to join up with you and play on your songs. Yeah. There's less of that. Everyone's writing. Really hard to and find. Everyone's, yeah, it's really hard. But in a way that's meant there's lots of people sort of in bedrooms and back rooms and studios writing stuff and there's loads of great content on the net. So with the whole SoundCloud and MySpace thing. Well, when I think of my solo album that I made last year i think yeah i mean i played every instrument on that apart from the female vocals which i find hard to sing female vocals yeah and that opportunity could have never come to me i didn't have to be able to play any instrument well Mm -hmm. to be able to create that because all it took was to play a guitar part right once or a bit of a guitar part right (laughs) once and then stick it with another bit of a guitar part that i played once and that's very liberating. Yeah. It does mean that I have a better skill as a composer and mixer than I necessarily have as a musician live on stage. Absolutely. Yeah, there's so much you can glean from that. You don't need to be an expert. You learn all these different things in a scattergun approach and then you just throw it into your own individual way of expressing yourself. So there's no need to be tied down to like one specific style. And music being such an immediate art, you can get one or two people together and they start singing and there you're creating yeah. something right there in the moment. Amazing, yeah. You don't need to just be a busker and go out and do it. You can have a podcast in your own bedroom and do that, or you can pre record some content and edit it and then just throw it out on the net. But all of this kind of democratization of music, as you say, and I'm a big believer in it. Yeah. But I mean, me and you are both making music in our bedrooms. Yeah. And we're we're able to release that online and we do. But like you say, everybody else does. Yeah. And so there's so much more competition. And the labels, especially as they're under threat Mm. in terms of piracy, Mm. they are the gatekeepers for us to make a living in some ways through music. Yeah. And now that they're scared that they're going to lose money, they are making less and less, they're taking less and less risks, would you you say, with music now? Or do you think... Yeah, I mean, more so than ever. If, like, big record companies could just market chocolate bars and sell them instead of selling CDs or digital content, they'd probably go and do it. Yeah. And no one would bat an eyelid. It's a sticky one. You can get into this whole kind of thing of, like, being like your mum and dad saying, oh, music's rubbish now and it's not like what it used to be ten years (laughs) ago and nobody plays their instruments anymore. It's just all about having really original ideas and... But do you think originality is enough to get... A, on a label now? Uh, 
No, it isn't. Let me think. I mean, it's a case of... I'd like to think that if you could approach a label and you've got a fantastic concept for doing things in terms of how you present yourself live and visually, in terms of your sound, if you can go in with like a really good... I was going to say demo tape, but like demo CD or like demo MP3s, like finished tracks, and you've got some kind of proven track record of like yeah. playing live track around, say, the gig circuit or the open mic circuit, and there's a buzz happening, inevitably people will come along and watch what you do. But then the whole idea of the traditional record industry model, is that still valid anymore? Hmm. People, the whole DIY approach of people marketing their own music and cutting out the whole management process the promotion process that record companies traditionally provide and doing it all yourself. Despite the democratisation of the internet, I still think people are feeling their way through. Just because one band does it a particular way doesn't mean we all have to agree with that. So like, take a big selling band of the last couple of years, take the Killers or say Fleet Foxes who are doing mm. interesting things. There's that whole side of it. So I think as, as the sort of years carry on, the internet's going to become more and more of an open tool. I think, actually, we've only just started scratching the surface. But it's an interesting question in terms of it being an open tool because... It's, anyone can publish on it, but getting people to hear it is yeah. very hard. And, I mean, I've talked to a friend of mine who makes music for a different podcast, and he says, really, that the thing is, he doesn't want to do the promotion. Mm. He wants somebody else to do that for him. Yeah. He just wants to make the music. He's not got skills necessarily in that area. That's not his... Absolutely. And he sort of hungers for those great, amazingly interesting promoters uh, yeah. like say Malcolm McLaren Absolutely. or uh, I know I can't remember his name but the guy that did Soft Cell was like a 16 year old sure, yeah, found yeah. them they come around very rarely now and the whole X Factor thing which is like talent shows have obviously been around for years yeah. and obviously we were just talking before we came on to record this you've just got to reach a point where you say well, you know what life's too short I'm just going to do what I'm going to do I'm going to find as many different ways of getting through and publicising my music to a wider audience. Just doing that, because like the, the whole X Factor thing is I think a lot more people just assume now I can go on telly and just do a well-known Leonard Cohen cover and that's it, I get my 15 minutes of fame or my 15 years of fame. And there's that whole side of it. That's fine, that's just an entertainment show. But yeah. in terms of making music on a grass on a grassroots level, it's not I'm saying, or Billy Bragg now probably, but that's that's a really good thing. There are people out there in your own town or or in a city that you live, and they're just actively out there doing it. Maybe we need the idea of more collectives and people getting together and helping each other out rather than viewing each other as rivals. But there's a whole world of music to listen to now. Yeah, yeah. everybody in every country that's relatively first world, not even completely mm. first world can make music in their bedrooms. Yeah. And, I mean, even if you just limit it to the English-speaking world. Absolutely. It's not a localised experience now. When you go out and you do and you do the gig circuit, there aren't people coming out just to see music. There are people's friends coming out to see their bands. And there's your friends coming out and paying the promoter a ridiculous amount of money to go in and see you mm -hmm. and some other bands that have nothing to do with the kind of music you make. We live in London. I've done the London gig circuit for a while in bands. You've done the gig circuit. Yeah, I've had some experience of doing it, yeah. And have you ever felt that there was actually... Have you ever seen a buzz? Like this thing that they talk about. Have you ever Ooh. felt a buzz? I, I don't think so, no. You hear about this kind of mythical thing like X hundred people got in a room and saw this amazing band and now they're signed to EMI or whatever it is. That whole thing that you read about in biographies about bands, 
I think it probably happens less because like you said there's so much content out there and the whole nature of the way people listen to music for most people for probably 90% of people music is just a commodity it's there and because it's there all the time they perhaps pay less attention to it it's like the soundtrack to their lives it's just constantly going on it's this constant undercurrent of sound and then the people who decide to make music it goes one step further for them but I think it's it's a worrying trend that there's a limited amount of people who are willing to move things forward and act as a catalyst for you like appreciative promoters and people just not into it for the whole kind of pay to play thing this is the thing we're trying to make money from making art because we want to live a lifestyle that allows us to make art mm. and i guess if you get a label you get the kind of what you were talking about earlier on in terms of what you get from having a job and that giving you a structure. Mm. In theory, if you get signed to a label, that's the job of that label to give you deadlines, to yeah. give you the pressure to make you make good art. And if yeah. you don't have deadlines and you don't have any sense when you go out and play a gig that it could get somewhere that I don't know. I mean, there's, I've never known of someone from a record label being in a room at a completely unknown night. Mm. I don't know if that happens so much anymore. It, not anymore, but from what I've read about bands in the past, certain labels used to have what they call quote-unquote progressive labels. So EMI, for instance, had a label called Harvest and lots of bands. There was that whole thing of lots of experimental things going on and major labels were attuned to that or they had younger guys who'd not grown up listening to easy listening music and suddenly all these kind of progressive bands came through who were able to get on bigger labels and then that kind of offshooted into things like heavy metal and electro pop later on the decade. But yeah, it, it's nice to think that bands like Genesis or Roxy or like Finn Lizzy, they all started off on progressive labels and there was this kind of thing that you could make an album or two albums and if you didn't have a hit immediately, there was that gestation period in which you could grow. Every, everybody wants everything now yeah. and it's, it, it's in the moment. And the downside of that is, is that no artists are given the chance to develop this is that kind of thing you're immediately put under the spotlight the internet puts everything under like immediate scrutiny and, and the immediate spotlight and you've got to kind of prove your worth straight away yeah if you... Whereas bands before developed mm. so by the time they got to their third or fourth album you suddenly went hey they're really really good that's right that definitely does seem to be a trend at the moment in in publishing yeah in, uh, in music in in uh, in anywhere really the sense that you get signed to a label and the first album's a dud and then the second one might be a dud but you you have to make those bad pieces you make you have to make those mistakes absolutely the argument that the record labels might make is we're making those duds now in our mm. bedrooms we're not limited by having to get into a studio we can make albums and experiment now but the thing is there's, it's le there's less incentive to keep going unless you can yeah. find some kind of way of hitting an audience and getting feedback from people you know, how do you know that your album didn't work? Well, you know, by hearing that back from people. Yeah, there's a lot of websites now. I heard about one, is it called Topspin? And you can do things through, I think, Reverb Nation and also Facebook, where you have, like, band stats, pie charts or whatever they are, I think. They're, like, graphs. And they tell you, in a certain country, who's listening to your stuff, which particular songs are performing better than others, all that kind of focusy yeah. group stuff that people didn't know about before. Because of the internet, people are aware of that. Bands are aware of that. But, but isn't that in a way that kind of takes away some of the mystery of exactly. what pop music's all about, well, doesn't it? <laughs> if, if if bands are all thinking about what statistics they're hitting, then they're not thinking anymore about what's interesting yeah. to make. They're thinking about what sells. And 
I'm a big believer in thinking about what sells. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm pro the idea of making accessible music and accessible writing and, and getting audiences. You know, I, I think you do have to pay the piper. You have to do stuff mm, that mm. audiences will like. At the same time, I don't think new interesting ideas happen unless you have the spectrum, unless you have people like John Cage making things that Absolutely. no one's going to listen to, that is just an intellectual exercise. Yeah. Or on the other side of things, Robin Gristle making just absolutely fucked up soundscapes. Unless we've got that whole range, then new interesting ideas don't come forwards. And if all bands are thinking, what sells? Yeah. That's it. Going back to what you just said a moment ago about bands like Robin Gristle, I love them, and part of the reason I love them is because you think, my God, how can anyone have such audacity to do that? Yeah. And that makes you, me as a musician and as a human being, just question what you can do with recorded yeah. sound. So, and I appreciate that, not everybody thinks that way, but that's the way I think. Mm. And also, my whole way of like listening to music is, I, I like the idea, and this is going to sound really Luddite, because I actually come from a computer science background, I did a computer science degree, but... I, I, I love listening to vinyl. I love the mechanical aspect of plonking a record down on a turntable, listening to side one, turning it over, listening to side two. And I've just been immersed in that band's vision or that artist's vision for like 45 minutes or whatever. And that's a focused yeah, listening, and, isn't it? And you well? just don't. And you can have that with CDs. You put a disc in a machine and play it, and you're there for an hour. So, you know, the idea of listening to, like, say, Sergeant Pepper or something. It, it does work over a whole album. Or you listen to say Unknown Pleasures by Joy Division. It's yeah. a whole soundscape over an album. Pretty much. And um, I don't think as many people do that anymore. Y you wouldn't dream of like picking up, say, you know, Catcher in the Rye and jumping to Chapter Five. I, well, you know, who's this whole Holden Caulfield character? You haven't read Chapter One, so you're not going to know. If we could reintroduce people to the idea of the album as an artifact, not an artifact in the historical sense, but the idea of it's this whole little world you can immerse yourself in, like a Harry Potter book. But this is whatever. an interesting thing. I think this is an interesting trend that I think is happening mm. from within commerce now. When you look at hip-hop and R&B in America at the moment, or even in the UK, influenced by that, concept albums are back. Right. And concept album is all about listening to the album from start to finish. Mm. But unlike prog music, this is concept albums that are designed still to be danced to, to still Absolutely, to be yeah. visceral to people. So Kanye West's albums seem to be increasingly more and more kind of inclined towards a concept running through. Certainly Kid Cudi did Man on the Moon, which is completely okay. a concept album about a hip hop artist going to the moon and it's very depressing. And it's interesting yeah. in terms of like Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. Then Absolutely, here. yeah. Because I think music is cyclical and art is yeah. going in a circle. And so I hope that some of the things that we're complaining about now are just I mean, I, I wonder that there might have been times in history where people have felt this before. Sure, yeah. About diff and where the new interesting music is <coughs> going to come from is going to be a different side than we expected. There's Janelle Monet, she's doing The Arch Android or something like that. And she's doing, again, R&B and funk that is a concept album in itself. And even, I mean, there's a Swedish electro artist called Robin who's doing body talk she released three out three albums in a year yeah body talk one body talk two and body talk three they're all about dancing yeah and that's that's something that goes from the beginning of the album to the end of the album you know part of me thinks we're right part of me thinks yeah. that music is pretty much dying a death at the moment and we need to sort that out and get stuff a little bit more maybe get get rid of the computers a little bit and sort yeah. of step back from it 
part of me thinks, what am I talking about? Computers is where some of the most interesting music is happening and people need to explore that and maybe something new will come from that. But the other thing I think is, me and you, we're students of music. Yeah. We are reading, have read the myths of music. We've loved them and they've been amazing, like the Sex Pistols gig where everybody that was in the audience went and formed a band in Absolutely, Manchester. Absolutely, yeah. And there were only 10 people there. Yeah. Well, we can't see the myths that are being created right at this moment necessarily yeah you're right it's like growing up in the 70s and people eulogizing about elvis and bill haley in the 50s so it's like now you have to realize that and i'm sure you do and we all do like there's so many kids growing up who why why should they be interested in queen or pink floyd or interested in nick drake it's probably just all it's history to them so inevitably they're going to tune out and quite rightly too to an extent because they're, they're making their sounds and they're, and they're doing their own thing now. So, and then another 50 years, their kids will be like, oh, you, you're not banging on about Kanye West again yeah. or like Eminem. The interesting thing is you can sort of take this whole philosophical approach to it. Like recorded sound is like there. The Beatles are just as relevant now as they were 40 years ago. And, you know, Kanye West is relevant to people who like him. Yeah. It doesn't make any difference. It's The thing is, I think people need to have a, a, a firm sort of grasp on what they want to do. And like you said, someone needs to come along and, and do something and just say, look, this is my identity and so do everybody else. That whole idea of like making music and you feel like the outside of the kind of the, the defiant person, like the whole punk thing. You know, that whole idea of like, you know, John Lydon came along as this kind of really, and he engendered so much hate from so many quarters. Yeah. Because he wasn't kowtowing to the status quo of like, you've got to say this, you've got to act like this. You're talking about the past and people being stuck in a rut. You you need, you know, pop music has its like folklore and its heroes. And we, we need some kind of excitement in a way. It might be a good idea to move away from some of the electronic sounding things and just going out and doing like spontaneous almost happenings or... Yeah, maybe. Possibly, yeah. It's I think, just, I'm, I'm just kind of throwing those ideas in out a there way. There's suggestions. I think that the <laughs> weird thing is there's there's been so many routes that have happened before, so many pathways. Yeah. That for us now, looking back at this recorded history and this written history of music, it becomes very hard to sort of work out what we can do that hasn't been done. There's only so many times you can reinvent the wheel. Yeah. But much. then again, Ecclesiastes has a line there is nothing new under the sun and that is in the bible and that's ages and ages ago so people have in lots of different times in history felt this i'm quite a believer in the sort of death of the author kind of way of looking at art which was sort of conceived by foucault and roland bart and one of the things that i think is bart talks about is art has become a tissue of quotations Mm. that we just sort of taking little strands and sort of sewing them together of what has come before. I think art's always been like that. Yeah. You can say, you know, Shakespeare was doing that. You can say the first cave people were doing their cave drawings. Three generations into that, they were borrowing from the past and reinventing it and changing the different things in the way that they drew the lines Absolutely. on the walls. In a way, I think originality just comes often from putting things together in a new way Mm. and even if that has been done before it hasn't been done now people haven't heard it now in the context of their lives and their history and what's going on right now when you sort of say happenings you think oh right well that's been done before but what if it was done by a different sphere of music what if they did happenings 
but took the computers out to do those happenings. Absolutely. I mean, maybe that's, maybe that if anyone's listening and they've got the ability to do that, go out and do that, you know, do something interesting. One of the things, I guess, when we were sort of talking about what we talk about is sort of commerce and art and how they interact with mm-hmm. each other. It feels very much to me at the moment, like there is this big wall that commerce has got that is sort of, we're backing, banging our heads against, like the glass ceiling that people talk about when they talk about equality for women. It feels like in terms of artists, we're banging our head against this this glass ceiling. We can see yeah. through. We can see where Kanye West is. We can see where uh, the killers are. And we're like, let us in, let us in. Mm. Now, maybe people might say, well, maybe the reason we haven't got through that glass ceiling is we don't have the skill and we're not good enough. Yeah. Obviously, neither of us are going to think that because otherwise we wouldn't carry on doing it. <laughs> that glass ceiling is there. And it feels like the audience is on the other side of that as well, mm. that they're sort of trapped in... I guess it's more like a glass bubble. The music is being made in a certain way and it's just getting sold back and sold back in a kind of feedback loop. And I like a lot of the music that's made in that feedback loop. Yeah. But I don't know how we, from the outside of that, get the ears of the people who are in that that bubble. The internet seems to me the way Mm. that we can do that. Mm. But I wonder if still being in the internet is like shouting into a big room. Yeah. And it's kind of an echo chamber and you get things back. But how, how do you how do you connect with people in a world where they are connected to the internet all the time? Six you know, dollar question, isn't it? Yeah. The reason they're not coming to gigs is because they don't have to. Because they can get it all and they've got their iPods and they don't have to sit down with a vinyl like you were talking mm. about and listen. Mm. They can just have the music on all the time. They can walk down the street. I'm, I'm the I'm one of these people. I mean, you know, you walk down the street, you've got your music on, you do this, you've got the music on in the background. You never sit down and listen. So you don't want things to challenge you. Because yeah. if you've got something in the background, challenging sounds don't work. You know, if you're stuck on Throbbing Gristle, yeah. you have to listen to that. You know, even Pink Floyd, to get the most out of Pink Floyd, you have to sit down and listen to it. If you want to listen to Kanye West like that, you can, and you'll get a hell of a lot out of it. Absolutely. But it also works as background. You yeah. don't have to think about Kanye West, and it, you know it can just go on and on and on. And the beat, the beat, as long as the beat carries on being right. I'll just, I'll just kind of go, give, sort of give you a window into what I like to do when I'm listening to music. Because I'm kind of, though I have an MP3 player, I hardly ever use it. So for me, vinyl and CDs are the big thing. I know I actually do something that's going to sound strange for a lot of people it might seem okay to some i sometimes can spend a whole saturday just listening to albums back to back and i like this idea of like turning the internet off completely putting my phone on silent and not answering the phone for four or five hours and i'm just immersed in this world it's almost like taking a shower in music and so it totally for me it changes my whole idea of the way you listen to music and the way you kind of express yourself the ideas you take from it if if we can get people to perhaps thinking that way you can draw people out of the glass bubble perhaps and get them to look in music in a different way as a kind of a, a as a as a tactile experience more than just something that is just you're just a casual consumer of if we could do that you know like the idea of when you watch something like that talking heads film stop making sense yeah. and it's a real feast for the eyes and the ears or like i think underworld did it a couple of years ago on one of their dvds where they use the whole idea of using the whole dvd option of like multiple camera angles and stuff and alternate footage then you're marrying both experiences and especially with the blu-ray thing that's going to be such a i don't know if anybody's really exploited that i don't know if i've seen too many as it were music films 
put onto high definition. There is one that I can think of, and that's uh, there's a big outdoor arena show by Queen that they did a show in Montreal years ago, and it was filmed, and that's been done in HD now. And just the visual quality of looking at it is great, but if someone could extend that further, if you could imagine a group like, I don't know if they're still going, but like, say, the Future Sound of London, if they exploited that, and they probably have, if someone could do something that you can buy as a consumer item take in your own home, but it combines all these different audiovisual experiences, that might be another way forward. But when they're watching pushing that forward. But when they're watching that in their own home, and I'm I'm terrible for this, <laughs> you know, they've got their uh, iPod there with face uh, iPad with Facebook on or whatever, you know. Yeah. I mean, they're watching it and they've got another window open here. That's weird because that's something I don't do. I, I, I'm not. I'll tend to do the internet for a period of time, but when it comes to listening to music, I will turn the computer off. It's just the way I'm programmed to do things. I think Maybe it's a I'm good just way. of that generation that I just, it's not out of some kind of artisan notion of, I must devote myself to the music now for 30 minutes. It's just the way I do things. Yeah, um, I mean, I... I even I'm, though I've got like this brand new shiny laptop and everything, it's still the way I... I but I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm like of the kind of crossover generation between those things where I've kind of embraced what's happening now. I, I mean, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, right? I'm always online. I've always got my, my Blackberry. I'm always sort of mm. checking things. I'm, there, there is no space in my life. There is always content. And I'm not sure if it's a good thing or, or not. And I know it's changing my concentration span mm. and my art habits. You know, I hardly ever read a book anymore. You know, that's a, an awkward position to be in as someone who writes books. I need to read books if I'm going to write them. Mm. And I sort of think, well, I don't know if it's good or bad. I'm questioning it. I might decide, fuck it, put it to one side, like learn to live outside the net. I might make that decision. But the kids who are growing up now... They're not even going to challenge it. They're not going to think, is it a good or a bad thing? They're yeah. just, it's just their thing. It's just their life, their world that they're in. So I think we need to find a way somehow. Not in a, in a necessarily kind of forced educational way, but in some kind of way that we can draw them in and exploit the idea that modern kids are, are like, so multifaceted. They're on their Blackberry, they're chatting to their mates. If they're at home, they're involved in some of the audiovisual content. They're doing like three or four things at once. If you can find a way in using that, but then introducing some new ideas, I was going to say subliminally, but I don't mean it in that subversive way. In a good way, that's the way forward. We've got to use the modern tools, but find another way in. But do you think that they might say, well, you know, whatever, you just don't understand it. We get just as much artistic pleasure from this fragmented reality that yeah. we experience as you get from your very focused and concentrational way of consuming your art. It's just different strokes for different folks, and what's the point in us trying to do something that's similar? Let's in the have past? some swap over program. Maybe we could introduce something like one of these dreaded TV programs, but kind of use the concept of some kind of swap over program. Art swap. You spend a week going listening to like you know Pink Floyd and Status Quo albums, and I'll spend a week listening to like urban hip hop. You know, sorry, that probably sounds really disparaging. No, I, I, I don't really, think it I'm does. really I open think to think people thinking this guy's probably like stuck in a rut or something. I really like new music. And I'll go out and check bands, but I think we've just alluded to it earlier that how many times can you reinvent the wheel? Someone has to like say, well, instead of playing a G chord, I'll play an F sharp chord and start doing something with all the chords that are not accepted as the chords that we should use and just try it. A trickle of people might be drawn into your way of thinking 
and then it might lead to something bigger. Maybe that's just the optimist in me talking. I, I think know. it's possible. I think it's. I think it's possible, and I think we should at least try to do it, even if it's like the last thing we do before we die, and we spend <laughs> another thirty years doing it. Bloody hell, let's just try and do it, because I think there's a lot of people out there who are willing to embrace it. And yeah, maybe that is just the optimist in me talking, because I'm not overly exposed to some of the things that perhaps you're exposed to but I'm not I mean I'm, I don't know if I'm that exposed I sort of just find things yeah, yeah. as they come up I'm not very aware of what the most modern music is and in fact the Kanye West album that I'm sort of obsessed with listening to is not even the most current we've had a, a, a very lively and <laughs> a, an interesting discussion really about trying to about put the music. world to rights isn't it in a way yeah. yeah one thing before we sort of wrap up in the last 10 minutes of uh, this discussion that I'm interested in hearing is the case for Queen the band because I I like some Queen tracks yeah but they in a way are the ultimate representation now of the kind of middle of the road populist art form with We Will Rock You the musical being their kind of big symbol and I know that you are quite a fan of Queen. Let's lay on the line, I'm a bit of an obsessive. I've yeah. met, I've seen some other, the interesting thing is recently I've been going on a fan forum and seeing people who are even more obsessed, so there's like degrees of obsession. For me it's really about the albums. The weird thing is, it's when you say, I oh, know they've become part of the establishment and like when punk came along they were seen as these like dinosaurs. Freddie was like seen as this ultimate kind of Hollywood-like star kind of parading Hollywood around and it really they, got yeah. at people's noses. How they feel now. Yeah. Um, the weird thing is, you listen to their albums and it's crossed over with so many things. It's like influenced by like rock music, it's influenced by the old music hall stuff, I love music hall, Mary Lloyd or Max Miller, all these kind of old, really old time stars. And so there was a whole thing cropping in, that whole kind of Marlena Dietrich thing, with that famous pose of them on the Bohemian Rhapsody video and all that. And they really were kind of a multimedia band for that time. I think they're still relevant for a lot of people and if we could translate some of those crazy ideas that they did and put them into a modern context going back to your previous questions and and our discussion is you you could really draw people in in that way the idea of hey let's just try anything i know it's been done but let's put on glitter and wear really ridiculous clothes and maybe use some of the ideas that lady gaga's done and let's just well isn't isn't that lady gaga the bowie for the day i mean Mm. you know it's interesting that you say that they tried everything and that they had all of these influences, which I don't doubt. Because the way that they seem now is that they didn't. They haven't had the same unkitching that ABBA, say, have. Yeah. It's except, and even the Bee Gees. Mm. But I mean, I, I don't really have much time for the Bee Gees. But I think that, you know, people now go, yeah, ABBA used to be considered crap and cheesy and all that. But hey, they made, they wrote, <laughs> they wrote some brilliant music. Yeah. But Queen has been captured mm. as a cultural thing. Yeah. And people aren't able to see past that kitsch. I'd love people to just take a moment and perhaps just look behind the, the sort of iconic images that, that they know of the band. I'd say that with any band. It's like saying, oh, another fashionable band to knock is like status quo. And it's, it's a very similar thing. That whole idea of they're not just rocking all over the world. They had some really cool singles and albums. Just take maybe one time just to go and listen to an album and listen to some of the hidden gems, like the buried treasure, the album tracks and stuff. What would and you might uncover some really new and exciting things that you perhaps didn't encounter before. What Queen song or album would you say to a young 
person interested in music now who's written off Queen that they mm. should listen to that would convert them or make them see Queen in a different light? I would say, if you listen to, there's an album they did called Sheer Heart Attack, which is their third album, and that was like their kitchen sink album in that, I guess, they threw everything in. And you could probably find something on there that will interest you. The hard rock stuff, there's like almost kind of barbershop quartet type stuff, ballads, a little bit of classical stuff, odd bits of electronic music slightly creeping through. Investigate that album, Sheer Heart Attack, it's a really, really good album and you might encounter some new ideas of things that you'd never heard before and they've just done this, I'm going to probably sound like one of their publicists, they've just done that whole thing of like a lot of bands digitally remastering their catalogue and bringing it out. I know you can go on iTunes, get all their stuff, it's there and just, just try, just please really try and have a listen but try lots of different bands I wouldn't just say Queen Genesis were a really interesting band who did lots of stuff um, there's an interesting band called Peru Boo again focusing on a different part right, of, yeah, that's the, the, of going into the, the post-punk thing, stuff they, amazing band Definitely. but again they were a great albums band because they put in loads of diverse ideas and they offer you this kind of whole vista into another world which you didn't think you could possibly imagine I think it's just if you try it oh you'll love it Really? Do you not think, in some ways, Queen have been the engineers of their own cultural malaise, though? Because after Freddie died, yeah, the band carried on without him. Yeah, which seemed a bit of a seems a strange choice to me because yeah, they yeah. sort of basically got a Freddie Mercury impersonator, didn't they? I mean, yeah, it's it's difficult to kind of follow like in the footsteps of a really powerful frontman. It's like when John Bonham died and 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 Led Zeppelin kind of wound things up. Whenever they came back, there was that whole thing of it's not working they've got his son now don't yeah they? yeah i try and look at it as going to watch a tribute band it's kind of amusing in certain ways but then a large part of me is like thinking just go and listen to the albums draw what you can from that music i mean i always and, remember and leave the historical aspect behind a few years ago it was some royal event mm. and brian may would played the national anthem on the top of the houses of parliament yeah it was one or buck house or one of those type yeah. of things yeah yeah no not yeah yeah no yeah buckingham palace that's, that's right it. yeah yeah um on top of the buckingham palace with his guitar playing the national anthem and i just thought well that is why people aren't gonna ever listen yeah. to he's a fascinating character brian may because He's got like a, a PhD in astronomy. And you actually go to his website. He's quite a web savvy person, actually. Yeah. He's all, he's actually campaigning for lots of different things. I think like countryside issues and stuff like but that. But he is a Tory, isn't he? Um, I, th- I, think I think so. He's yeah, he's, Tory, he's like, Tory. yeah. So I've never been a Tory voter. If you, if you look at the history of the Tory party, it's like <laughs> Tories are like, by their nature like, resistant to change. It's just a new coat of paint for a modern generation. Although music, once it lasts for a long enough time, it becomes part of the acceptable mainstream, doesn't it? So David Cameron yeah. now lists the Smiths as one of his and top like bands. Cameron being a fan of the Smiths because they kind of represented everything that was opposite, especially at the height of Thatcherism. They yeah. were kind of an anti. At the time, so I don't think they necessarily allied themselves with like Red Wedge. I don't know, but no, they were seen as artistically, musically, politically, everything so away from some of the bands who kind of embrace the whole Thatcherism me generation thing of like say bands like Duran Duran though I really love Duran Duran I, could, I sort of see the point where that whole idea of like consumerism and having a big Porsche or 
a nice house and all that stuff and a lot of it's people the same went, as well, that means nothing to me I'm living in a two up two down in Bradford it's the same as gangster rap now yeah. you, know, like, you can go so far that it goes the other way like there mm. is a Kanye West song where he's like my friend's looking at pictures of his kids and all I've got are pictures of my cribs but I think that goes so far that it becomes interesting again you know that yeah, he's, yeah. he's so super rich that he is feeling sad about the fact that he hasn't got these human connections that's quite a universal thing yeah and that's an interesting idea but when they're just saying you know yeah we got loads of money yeah we got loads of girls and that's what Duran Duran did affluence doesn't necessarily breed wisdom you use your mind and your abilities to get you to a certain point but then there's going to be a whole bunch of people quite rightly turning around and saying well it's quite easy for you sitting in your ivory tower telling us all these things or like talking about I used to be a working class hero and blah 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 but you know what about the rest of us who are like struggling to like you know make our minimum wage go to like affording three meals a day yeah. So there's that, there's always going to be that dichotomy, but you can try and hopefully listen to what people are saying and take that on on board. Going back to Queen, yeah, they were seen as this kind of almost like conservative band. The other side of that is they came from an era where, and I went to see an exhibition they just had recently, and it was kind of about their prehistory, and they all were like starving students and that. And so inevitably, you look at escapism and Hollywood films or, or or like America. America was like the big wonderland to look at for ideas and inspiration and and, and something to like think I could have that star thing and and that all that coming in. So. When you're kind of poor and starving and you're looking, you know, you're down the gutter and looking at the stars, is that whole that, that whole side of things. But then five years down the line, once you've made a couple of million quid or whatever, it's difficult to kind of relate to the man and the woman in the street. So there's always going to be that dichotomy. Well, money sort of has ruined a lot of bands. You sort yeah, of think of, course, of like, yeah. you know, Oasis's first album. Sure, yeah. Then they had their second album, which benefited maybe from the uh, affluence that they suddenly hit yeah and after that they've just become irrelevant yeah yeah um it's always going to be a difficult one that i think hopefully <laughs> he said with his rose tinted spectacles on and kind of optimism that hopefully the music will just transcend that and people will just really enjoy the vibe of listening to the music sometimes you just listen to stuff and you think well it doesn't matter that they live in a million pound house and stuff it's like i've got this album and it, it means so much more to me and then you could look at the whole aspect of I could be doing something like criminal or out there on the streets that is no good for society. Instead, I'm listening to music and I'm trying to better my mind and better myself. So you think? do you think that... There's that kind of educational aspect to music and that you're learning a craft and a skill, going full circle back to the whole artisan thing of learning an instrument. And it physically gets you away from getting involved in negative activities. You think that? So you think that music is essentially a positive force? Oh, definitely, for sure. I think even though we live in an age of cynicism and so many comics and other commentators can be cynical and, and, and disparage things, which can be really funny, that, you know, I think music's such a fantastic leveller and it, it's a real meeting of people it has a real community joining together thing. It's probably going to sound really hippish, but I do believe in it. I think it really joins people together. And, you know, you can have differing opinions on certain album tracks or certain songs, but ultimately you're joined together. And it's better to be doing that as a community rather than being separated and being ostracised and doing stuff away from people. We're, we're stronger together. Two or three people together are much stronger in so many ways than an individual. I think part of me at least ag- agrees with you that yeah, yeah. that music is a a way that human beings can escape from the kind of isolation of being in your own head and find other people and can knit a community together it's and us, yeah. kind of common cause and common uh, experiences and I guess mm. that, that you can through 
music is a way that you can understand other people and if you understand other people better then hopefully you will behave better uh, in the way that you behave to other people you know i think that if, if we all do that i think the world will improve in, in, in a measurable way it's like optimism if you can do that you can really change people and if you can use music as a way of joining people together in a community way and use the modern ideas of the internet and the idea that we're multifaceted people and that we do two or three things at once instead of just one thing at a time um, then there's got to be a way around it all of sifting through kind of the muddle of the world we live in and making making the world a better place yeah well Naveen I hope yeah. <laughs> I, I hope that you are right I, I hope, hope that, so too, that, yeah. that, that we will find a way of sifting through everything and find new and interesting forms of music and hopefully me and you will do some of that together. Do you have anything that you would like to plug to the listeners? I have a couple of websites. I'm just going to do the blatant thing and, and yeah, do it. Them. That's what so we've for. got like a lot of people, the MySpace thing. So I've got myspace.com slash Tivoli Bands. That's T-I-V-O-L-I-B-A-N-D. And another one again, myspace.com Energybox. 1980 that's 1980 so that's like two projects I've got I've got like songs that I've done acoustically on the energy box one and the Tivoli stuff is like um, songs that I've done with uh, a friend of mine Simon Lennon who we had a band game together that's songs we did together so yeah that's kind of my plugging thing apart from that I don't know just um, you try and use the internet in a positive way. I think there's a lot of kind of really bad fan forums out there. So if anybody's like thinking about setting up a fan forum, try and like do something that's actually kind of slightly relevant to your subject matter. Because I seem to see, see a lot of fan forums, or like one, well, one in particular, that it just seems to become kind of a, um, a marketplace for people just dissing each other, which is kind of can be a bit boring. So if anybody's thinking of doing that, setting up fan forums, try and you know canvas opinion and do something really good that way use the internet <laughs> for good yeah and that's kind of a very turn it off thing. and makes and listen to some music okay yeah <laughs> well, thank you very much for being this no worries it's uh, been a very interesting experience of getting better acquainted with you. yeah thanks for that thanks for having me over it's been brilliant brilliant thanks Cheers. find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast you can find it on Facebook it's Getting Better Acquainted have a search on Facebook and like it or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk you can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way there are lots of ways to get better acquainted Naveen and me recorded this podcast a few months ago. We're making music together still, and we've got a female vocalist who's singing with us. There's a couple of other people who are potentially working with us who we're talking to who are coming along to some jams and stuff. Me and Naveen met because he replied to the following advert. If you live in London and you're interested in being in a band, or you know people who might be interested in being in a band who live in London, listen on. If not, then you may not want to listen to the end of this podcast. I'm starting a new band up. The band will be a four-piece, including me, and it will play my songs. I want to make epic electronic folk pop, mixing nice folky instruments with pleasing electronic sounds. I'm particularly interested in duets and multi-vocal arrangements. The band will have a punk ethos and a lo-fi sensibility. 
put a link to what my solo stuff sounds like and you can find that on soundcloud.com forward slash the dave which is the hyphen dave unfortunately so hear the solo songs there also there you'll find a set list of demos which we're using as the basis for what we're doing in this new band the band will not kill ourselves on the soulless london gig circuit where no one sees you and you never get paid we will carve out our own space with regular live performances recorded in intimate venues with invited audiences and guests and distributed via a free podcast and youtube channel Basically, we will play in people's front rooms and invite our friends to come along and have some drinks and watch us play. No more hassling your mates to come out and pay stupid amounts of money to lazy promoters and watch a load of shite bands play. Once we get followers online, we will put on live podcast nights at good London venues. We will program these nights with quality support acts and bands, pay everyone to play and hopefully make a profit. We'll record the nights and offer them for free as podcast specials. Potential members need to live in London and be prepared to rehearse once or twice a week. Music must be your passion, not your hobby, and you need to be someone willing and able to commit to regular rehearsals, recordings and performance. I'm looking for collaborators with musical ideas, and there will be plenty of room to put your own art into the project. However, we will be playing my songs and adhering to my vision, at least for the initial start-up period of the band's life. I play ukulele, guitar, analog keys, melodica, kazoo and sing. We've already got a bass player and a, and a female vocalist and potentially a guitarist. What we're looking for, most of all, is a percussionist who can play kit but is also into playing all sorts of other rhythmic things. We're also potentially looking for synth players, people with drum machines who want to make beats. We are also looking potentially for a relatively unusual instrument like a cello or a bassoon or a flute or a banjo, something to really add to the sound. If you're interested or you know someone who is, please get in touch with me and we can meet up, jam and see if we click. So contact me on goosefat101 at hotmail.co.uk. Brilliant. Well, if you like that, do that. If not, then don't.